Oh, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. I can encourage you to take your seats if you haven't done so already. Welcome to our, our morning service, whether you're here in person in the building or whether you're watching online. Um, whether you're a regular worshipper or you're here for the, the first time. And uh, whether you're already a believer in Jesus Christ or whether you're here exploring what the Christian faith is all about. It's great to have you with us. Um, it's holiday season, so we're a bit fewer in number. But it's great to be able to meet together. We do pray that uh, each one of us will meet with God this morning and find joy and spiritual nourishment as we worship together. Well, we are gathered together to worship our holy God. And it's good to prepare ourselves spiritually to meet with him. So this is a moment of quiet as we start before I then read from God's word. Just a moment to prepare ourselves. Psalm 89 says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? And the counsel of the holy ones God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Let's pray. God of all faithfulness, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, and voices to sing your praise. So we pray you'd fill us with your spirit that we may celebrate your glory and worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus our Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, over the summer we've had different people leading um, the S Club and it's been great to have different volunteers that Becca Bolton's leading this morning. Um, in case you're wondering what, they, what they've been doing over the summer, uh, they've been looking at some of the parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. And what all of these have in common is um, Jesus is using illustrations from everyday life to teach the disciples two key things about the kingdom of heaven, what it is and how it grows. So very briefly, let's just try and answer those two questions. Now, what is the, um, we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, what is it? Um, let's try and compare it with the kingdom of the United Kingdom. Uh, if you think of the United Kingdom, it's a physical kingdom. Uh, you have boundaries, are surrounded by sea. Uh, you can only live here permanently if you have a British passport. Now, Jesus said, my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is not of this world. He said, in other words, the kingdom of heaven doesn't have any borders. Anyone from any country in all of the world can belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's a spiritual kingdom. Well, how do people become part of the kingdom and how does it grow? Well, it grows miraculously through the power of God and through the word of God. When someone hears the word of God and God enables them in his power through his spirit to, to, for them to understand it and to make them want to, to believe it and put their trust in Jesus and to follow Jesus as their king, they become part of the kingdom of heaven. So the word of God has power to change people's lives. And the Bible describes uh, the word of God in different ways. They use different images uh, to describe it. Here's a few of them that we're going to be singing about in a minute. One of them is light. Light is power, doesn't it? Light gets rid of the darkness when it shines into a dark place. The word of God is described in, in the book of Jeremiah like this. It says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. The word of God breaks down barriers to believing and like a hammer breaks down a rock. Fire. As a fire burns off of the dross, the impure parts of metal. So the word of God as a fire burns off the impure parts of us. It purifies us through its power. And finally, the word of God is described as a sword. A sword that pierces and judges the attitude of our hearts. In other words, it reveals our spiritual need, our need 
for Jesus Christ. We don't always see the impact of the word of God immediately, um, but over time, as we see people come to faith, we see the kingdom of heaven growing from a tiny seed into a huge tree. Those are some of the things that the, the children I've been looking at in S Club, and I'll be looking at again this morning. Um, well, before the children do go out to S Club, um, I'd like to hear from one of our young people who's been away on camps, lots of summer camps going on at the moment, and uh, Zara's going to think come up um, and share a little bit from the camp that she's been on. And Nathan, by the way, has gone off to with Lisa to Christians Support in Repton. I think there's five young people from the church who've gone with them, so remember them in your prayers this week. Uh, Zara, tell us which camp have you been in? If you want to grab that mic there, that's great. Um, I went to Cape and Row. It's up north, and I went to the International Youth Week. Brilliant. And um, what did you enjoy about the week? Um, it's hard to pick just one thing because it was all really good. But in my, like, this is going to sound really cringy, but it's like the friends I made and the people that I met there. Yeah, yeah. It's not about, it is a lot about friendship, isn't it? And people and gathering together, absolutely. Um, we've been hearing about the Word of God, and obviously the Word of God was quite a central part of what you did during that week. Was there anything that you maybe learnt this past week which you found particularly helpful or encouraging that you'd like to, to share with us? Um, I think... Um, I think I learned that it's okay to just break down sometimes and God will always help us through it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. God is there in our needs, isn't he? And he comes to us. And uh, in God's word, we can find what we need, that God is a caring God, is a compassionate God. Yeah. Brilliant. Anything else you want to share from the week? Or um, is it something you'd recommend for others to go on in the future? Um, I really recommend the go-karting there because... They really recommend... The go-karting. Go-karting, yeah, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they put the Mario Kart music on whilst they were doing it, so Excellent. that was quite fun. If you like go-karting, Cape and Ray is for you then. <laughs> Next year. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sarah. Let's pray for our children as they go out to their, their classes. Father God, we thank you for all the, the summer camps taking place uh, at the moment. Thank you for Cape and Ray and the encouragement that has been to the young people this past week. I pray for those at Repton this week that um, as they come together, as they make new friends, and as they come to know Jesus, that you would speak to them. And we pray for our children now as they go out to West Club. I do pray for Rebecca and the others teaching them this morning that you would be with them. We pray for our children, that they would hear from you, that as they study your words, that um, it would have power in their lives to change their lives as they come to know Jesus for themselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to carry on in prayer, and um, Lila's going to lead us in our prayers, and then um, Vicky will come up and bring us our reading before Colin comes to, to preach. Thanks, Lila. You probably realize that Colin's, Colin is today going to open the word from uh, Genesis 46 to 48 with a theme flourishing from fame or reverse it and say famine from famine to flourishing and this week I really found that whole theme how God can literally reverse what is happening in our lives what is happening in the world at large so I would like to just encourage us first From the word in Isaiah 30, as we come now to the Lord's presence, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. The Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. He will surely respond to the sound of their cries. So let us come boldly to this throne of our gracious God. Our loving Father, our Maker, Redeemer. What a privilege you give us to enter your presence as individuals 
and as your church. We come because of your gracious invitation and because Jesus has bought the way, the access to to your holy throne. Join me in the words of the, it is a song by Graham Kendrick, which he wrote exactly 30 years ago, after seeing the poverty and the suffering, beggars and leprosy in Bombay. You might know it, it is called Beauty for Brokenness. And in a way that links with this, how God replaces something with something far, far, far greater and more beautiful. Beauty for brokenness, hope for despair. Lord, in the suffering, this is our prayer. Bread for the children, justice, joy, peace. Sunrise to sunset, your kingdom increase. Lord Jesus, you alone can restore our brokenness and bring hope to the despairing. You overturn the curse of sin in everyone who turns to you for deliverance, and you make us part of your new creation. In your heart, the needy, the helpless, the poor, those who know their brokenness, You call them blessed. Bread for the children. God, you delivered the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians, and you promised deliverance from any bondage, whether it be addiction, fear, unbelief, bitterness, sickness, debt or oppression. And Christ, you answered the plea of the Canaanite woman and healed her daughter because of her deep faith in you. The children's bread is God's deliverance from our bondage, which now, as the gospel message, has rung out to all nations around the world. So today, Father, we praise you for the impact of your kingdom from sunrise to sunset from east to west, delivering justice, joy, and peace. Let your kingdom come, Father. In Long Grandin, in our whole country, Europe, the Americas, Middle East, Africa, Asia, Far East, Australia, New Zealand. Shelter for fragile lives. Cures for their ills. Work for the craftsmen. Trade for their skills. Land for the dispossessed. Rights for the weak. Voices to plead the cause of those who can't speak. Lord Jesus, while you were here on earth, you showed compassion and care for the ill, downtrodden, and those who were considered outcasts, the Gentiles, the lepers, the poor, the women, the prostitutes, the mentally ill, the tax collectors, those who were lost in the eyes of the world. And they were most receptive to you because they knew their need of a saviour. This week, many of our young people, when they receive their A-levels, Father, give them your reassurance and peace that you have a purpose for their lives, that work, prepare, prepare them for work suited for their skills and talents and trade for what you have prepared them for. Refuge from cruel wars, havens from fear, cities for sanctuary, freedoms to share. Peace to the killing fields, scorched earth to green. Christ for the bitterness, his cross for the pain. 
Lord of heaven's armies, come. Come to deliver the suffering people living in the savagery of the war in Ukraine, Mali, Sudan, Niger. Bring, Father, your justice. Release prisoners of war and those who are maimed and whose bodies have been left on the enemy territory. We also now pray today specifically your mercy and protection for the persecuted church, persecuted Christian churches. And today we particularly pray for the Christians in Belarus, where the authorities only just over a month ago, without any warning, came to bulldoze down that church, which was an, a former cowshed, but a beautiful church. And now there is a threat of more restrictions coming for Christian worship and witness. And our pastor Koncherenko says, God sees everything, and he sees today our suffering, our grief, our pain. Father, with your powerful arm, protect these children of yours and make their suffering to be the seed of a return to God, a national awakening in Belarus through the power of your Holy Spirit. God told Moses these words which really fit into that, uh, that same context. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers and I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them. Father, please deliver and protect your suffering, persecuted children who live in fear around the world and now in Belarus. So the persecution in Europe already. Only you can heal the bitterness that we experience when we have lost our lives, livelihoods, homes and families in the middle of mindless aggression of the war. Let your mind, Christ, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Enable them to be slowly healed and reconciled with their enemies. On your cross, you carried all their pain, their grief. Rest for the ravaged earth, oceans and streams, plundered and poisoned, our future, our dreams. Lord, end our madness, carelessness, greed. Make us content with the things that we need. With our own eyes, we have watched the terrors of wildfires scorching everything in their path like a blowtorch. Hawaii, Canada, California, Italy, Greece, Portugal, Australia. And in Europe, China, Philippines, South Korea, diluvian walls of water have submerged whole cities, houses, land, these apocalyptic scenes, Father, let these images make us see your judgment coming. The outcome of our willful destruction of your beautiful world. Father, forgive us our greed, our idolatry, our corruption. God of the poor, friend of the weak, Give us compassion, we pray. Melt our cold hearts. Let tears fall like rain. Come change our love from a spark to a flame. Lighten our darkness. Breathe on this flame until your justice burns brightly again. Until the nations learn of your ways, seek your salvation and bring you their praise. Hear us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
This morning's reading is coming from Genesis chapter 46 and 47. Uh, This can be found in the Blue Bible on page number 51 and on page 71 in the large print. But we'll be only reading from 46 verses 1 to 7, and then I'll go to chapter 47 verses 11 to 31. Chapter 46, Jacob goes to Egypt. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Bathsheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Bathsheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. And just to summarize from chapter 46, verses 8 to 27, there are a list of names of all the descendants of Jacob who go to Egypt with him. And then from verses 28 and up to chapter 47, verses 10, We're told of Joseph's reconciliation with his father, Jacob, and of their interactions with Pharaoh as they talk about settling in the region of Goshen. So now I'm going to go to chapter 47, starting at verses 11. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he bought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep, and goats, their cattle, and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us our land in exchange for food, and we, will, and we, with our land, will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed, so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph brought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep a seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. 
So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful increased and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I find favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Amen. Thank you, Vicky, for reading. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Father God, we pray for your your help this morning, uh, that we would uh, be shaped uh, more like you, that we would see our need of you, that we would see the way in which you meet that need, that we might be built up uh, to praise your name and give you glory. Uh, This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to uh, thinking through the things of life, uh, many challenges that many people face, uh, there are many things which people struggle with when it comes to the uncertainties of life. Things in life which are uncertain. Some things in life are certain. As someone once said, there's death and then there's taxes. Both of those things are certain, apparently. But many other things are really quite uncertain and unknown. Uh, Many young people at the moment will be uh, receiving their A-level results. Um, You would hope that they would know what they will get. uh, But maybe they are a little uncertain or a little unknown of what will happen. And then, as a result, therefore, what the future will hold and bring as a result of those results. Things are unknown right now. For others, perhaps the uncertainties of maybe the economy, maybe inflation are are things which are on people's minds as people think about the, the rising cost of things and the challenges in trying to meet that cost with their wages. Some perhaps are concerned maybe with other things, perhaps the cultural pressures that are placed upon them as Christians and how to, how to adapt to that or not to adapt to that, what to do, what to say, what to think. For others, it might be the concern of, of really what, what just lies ahead tomorrow, what will happen next week or next month or what lies ahead of us next year. Things might might change or things might stay the same but there are many things we're just not sure about not certain about what the future holds because we'd like to have that certainty wouldn't we we'd like to have certainty of what the future might hold for each one of us but very often we're not granted it and yet ultimately whatever happens in life we must continually remember and really preach to ourselves this truth that God is faithful in the uncertainties of life. God is faithful in the uncertainties of life. And we'll see that from this morning's passage as we see that firstly, that God reassures us in our fears. God reassures us in our fears. As we saw last week in in chapter 45, uh, having uh, tested his brothers, Joseph, he finally reveals himself to them. He tells his brothers that whilst they had acted wickedly against them, that it was actually uh, God that used it. Whilst they sold him into slavery, ultimately God used it to save many lives through the famine because they used Joseph to provide. As Joseph provides for many, then he he sends carts back to his father in Canaan. And when his father sees them, it says at the end of chapter 45, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The only problem with this idea of going to Egypt was that that Israel, or Egypt as he was also known, 
was he was concerned because he was concerned that God would not go with him. Because if you read back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 26, God had appeared to Isaac, that's Jacob's father, and told him explicitly, do not go down to Egypt. Added to that, his grandfather Abraham, well, he went to Egypt, but that didn't go very well either. And so Israel does the right thing. He goes to offer sacrifices to God at Beersheba. And these were sacrifices of atonement, sacrifices of thanksgiving. As he seeks the Lord's blessing, he seeks the Lord's guidance in what he wants or what he thinks he should do next. He wanted to really follow the Lord's will in all this and not his own. Once he'd made these sacrifices, God spoke to him in a vision saying, Jacob, Jacob. And these are distinctive moments in the Bible. You think of Moments of Abraham, where God speaks to Abraham like that. Samuel, the same thing. Or Saul in Acts 9. Saul, Saul. Same here. Jacob, Jacob. It is that the Lord wants to grab their attention in what is really a momentous moment. As God says to Jacob from verse 3 to 4. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you. And I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Previously, where where Isaac uh, didn't have the permission to go to Egypt, Jacob is now granted it. As God reassures him with the promise given to both Abraham and Isaac, that I will make you into a great nation. A promise that ultimately for us today in Jesus is fulfilled. That we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, as the Apostle Peter says. And so God promises, he promises to go with Jacob and to bring him back to be buried in Canaan. The land where the Lord was there. He was with his people there. The point really for us is to to be reassured that God is always faithful to his promises. He is always faithful to his promises. And we can be reassured that God will go with you. He will be with you today and to the very end as he was with Jacob. As wonderfully we follow a God who is not like the pagan gods of that day who is tied to a certain place, but he is omnipresent. That is, he is everywhere and he goes before us. We have the assurance in knowing that whatever tomorrow might bring or might not bring, God is already there waiting for us. We have that assurance. Like a father waits for a child. He waits for them to come to them. And so we have that too. As we wait on the Lord, he waits on us to come towards him in faith, to step forward. And so we can take steps of faith in confidence and in reassurance, knowing that God, our Father, will always be with us in whatever steps we take. We can also learn much from from Jacob's devotion as well, as he goes to to the Lord to seek his guidance, to seek his blessing. As he seeks a a heartfelt devotion, and in that devotion, that brings a clearer direction. If you have a decision to make, maybe a house to buy or you're not sure where to move or what job to take or whether you want to give money to something or something else or maybe a relationship, you're not sure if you should pursue that or not, well, you can present that before the Lord. Because as Christians, we have a wonderful privilege, the privilege of prayer to be able to lay down our burdens before the Lord to present them to him. And we also have wonderful freedom a freedom to, to do many different things for the glory of God. And so we don't need to, in some sense, worry about stepping outside of the will of God. If it goes against God's word, then, then we have stepped out from God's will. Because to sin is never the will of God. But if we do things that bring glory to God, then we have such liberty, such freedom to be able to choose a variety of things. And the point is, As Kevin DeYoung's book, as the title says, just do something. We have freedom, freedom to do something for God's glory. 
And so if it does bring him glory, then, then do it. The pressure for us is off. We don't need to, to, to guess what God might want for us. We can see that if it brings him glory, then we can pursue it. And whatever decision we have, we have that freedom. If it's not explicitly forbidden by God in, in, his, in his word, then we have that freedom to be able to choose Knowing, knowing that is wonderful because we know that, that as we pursue the Lord, as we seek his will and his word, then he will give us the freedom to choose and the freedom to know, the joy to know that he is with us every step of the way. And so Jacob and all his offspring, well, they, they go to, to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and their possessions as they had acquired them in Canaan. <laughs> So God is with them in this, and he says he's going to, they're going to take all their livestock and offspring. They take everything. You see from those verses, the first few verses, the, the word all is repeated again and again and again, that they bring all things. They give full commitment, really, to this next step. Because as we know that God is with us, then we can be confident, confident of what tomorrow might bring. We can be both feet in, if you like, fully committed knowing that God is with us. Things may not be easy. We might not, on the surface of things, have an easy life. But we do know that God is with us in our life. That whatever comes, he is with us to the very end, as he was with Jacob. Because God is faithful in the uncertainties of life. As Firstly, as he reassures us in our fears. And secondly, he provides for us abundantly. As you look from uh, verse 8 to 27, which we didn't read in, in chapter 46, you see all the names of the sons of Egypt or Jacob who went to Egypt. The final number that were there were 70 in all. 70 is a symbolic number of, of a multiplication and of completeness. As all the descendants of Jacob went down to Egypt, as God was multiplying them, filling the earth as it was from Genesis 1. And so Jacob sends Judah ahead of the group so as to discover where the land of Goshen was. He is, if you like, the Google Maps of the day. And then they, when they arrive, Joseph, he has his chariot made ready. And when he appears before his father, he throws his arms around him and he weeps. Now the word appears is the same word used for, for when God appears to people in the Old Testament. And what is called a theophany. When God makes himself known, the appearance of God to people. As Joseph, really, he foreshadows the way in which the Lord Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. As he does, through, does so through reconciliation. Because after his resurrection, Jesus appears before them not for retribution. Because of all the things that they had done. Because of the fact that they had denied him. But he appears before them for reconciliation. And Jesus' work on the cross and in his resurrection brings his people together that there is that reconciliation to God and to others. As Jacob, we think of Jacob here, he receives his son with tears as he thought he was dead, but he was actually alive. Jacob says, now that I know you're alive, I am ready to die. Because as we think forward to the New Testament, you think of uh, the instance of Simeon, where he sees Jesus who has been born, and he says he can die in peace now because he has seen his Savior. The Lord Jesus is that promised Savior, the one we receive by faith. And thirdly, as we look at Joseph, well, he becomes an advocate for his people. Not only will he give good advice to his brothers as they approach, Joseph, approach the Pharaoh, but he says he will go up and speak to Pharaoh on their behalf. In the same way for us today, Jesus intercedes for us. We pray in Jesus' name because he hears us. God hears us through Jesus. He is our advocate at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us in all our prayers that we can be heard by God. He is our advocate. Jesus not only presents our, our prayers to God, but he continually pray, prays for us. Even now, he prays for us. As God provides 
abundantly for each one of us. And so perhaps as we think of our own devotional life, perhaps with the Lord, maybe, maybe you've had a fantastic devotional life this past week, this morning even. Or maybe you have not done anything all week. Even still, Jesus prays for you. He is our advocate in heaven, praying for you at the right hand of the Father. And we have that assurance in him. And so as Joseph, he advocates for his family. He tells his brothers to explain to Pharaoh that they are shepherds. And then they're given lush land to farm far away from the Egyptians so that they can live distinctive lives separately. In a way, that's a blessing because they'd been in Canaan. They didn't want to mix with the Canaanites. And so they, they are in this separate land, in a, in a lush land of Goshen. And during that time when, when Jacob went before Pharaoh, he, he blessed them because even Pharaoh had been blessed through Jacob and Joseph. This fulfilled the promise given to Abraham, as God had told him in, in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. Because even Pharaoh, a man who is nowhere from the Lord, an enemy of God, if you like, even he is blessed through, jo- through Joseph. And after Jacob, he blessed Pharaoh. And then we're told from verse 11 to 12. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his family's household with food according to the number of their children. And so Joseph, through Pharaoh, he provides for all his family members according to their number. For each and every one of them, he provides. Because when we think of of another episode of where all people are provided for according to their number... Perhaps there is the story of the provision of the feeding of the 5,000 that comes to mind. Because in that, there's the five loaves, there's the two fishes, which is a complete number of seven, symbolic for that. And we're told that they all ate and were satisfied. And then the 12 disciples pick up 12 baskets, showing that not only does Jesus provide, but he provides completely for each person. Jesus provides and does so abundantly. As he says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Where Joseph provides the best land for his people, Jesus provides eternal life for his people. An overwhelming abundance of life for each and every one of us. None of us are overlooked. He offers it to every person. Jesus holds out that abundant life of heaven in his name. As God is faithful in the uncertainties of life, as he he reassures us in our fears, he provides for us abundantly. And lastly, God gives life to all who come to him. Whilst Jacob and his descendants will... They experience the very best of the land. This is not the case in the other parts of the land. As we're told in chapter 47, verse 13, there was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. The situation here is bleak, both in Egypt and in Canaan. There is this extreme famine. And so to provide for the people, uh, to provide for the people, to provide, to provide for the people, uh, Joseph, he says to them, well, uh, he collects money from them so that they can pay for the grain for the people of Egypt and of Canaan. The money runs out, however, and so the people, they end up selling their livestock uh, to Joseph for food. The following year, uh, when the people run out of livestock, uh, we're told that they have nothing left other than their bodies and the land. And so Joseph buys them as people and their land in exchange for seed. It appears as if it is the the seventh year of this famine, uh, the year in which everything would be 
would be finished and so things would turn back to normal. Therefore, they get seed that they would plant something for the following year. And Joseph, he bought both the people and the land and we are told that he reduced them to servitude or what we might call slavery. He gave them all the seed that they needed and asked them to give one-fifth or 20% of the crop to Pharaoh. Perhaps when you, you first read this, as I did, you think, slavery? Really? Slavery? And, and one-fifth of all that they had? That sounds, that sounds quite ruthless. I thought Joseph, I thought he was supposed to be the good guy in this story. But the issue, perhaps, as we read this passage, is that we read it with our own eyes from a Western perspective in the 21st century. We think that there was perhaps a better or a kinder option for the people. But there wasn't. It was either servitude or death. There was no state welfare, no charities, no help from anyone. It was either sell yourself or perish in the wasteland. Sell yourself or die. Those were the options. Now this is what what true famine and desperation looks like. And regarding the the 20%, it wasn't uncommon in that culture for to to tax slaves, not just 20%, but 40%, 60%, 80 or even 100. Some of us today, perhaps we pay more tax as free men and women than they did in Pharaoh's day back then. And so the 20% wasn't actually as cruel as perhaps you might first think. In fact, it was actually quite generous. As they tell Joseph in verse 25, almost with a sense of joy, they say, you have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Because the people were were looking for provision to save them, they were looking for provision to save them from their desperation. And where ultimately did the people go to find provision, to to, to provide for them? To prevent them from perishing in the land where we're told in verse 15. All Egypt came to Joseph. Because both the people of Canaan and the people of Egypt, well, they came to Joseph to be saved. This points to the one who ultimately provides for all the nations. For people from every background, every tongue, every tribe, every country. There is good news because Jesus tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The offer of eternal salvation and abundant life is held out to everyone from every place who trusts in Jesus. Jesus is the one who provides for us, not just in our physical needs, but in our eternal needs, that we would not perish, but have eternal life in his name, to receive that. That all nations who come to Joseph, will they receive salvation from their famine? The call today is that everyone from every nation would come to Jesus to receive salvation for their souls. This is why, really, as a church, you think about who we support and what we what we do with the money that we that we have we want to support mission as much as possible we want to see people sent out to the mission field to the nations that people would know the good news of the lord jesus for themselves a message of eternal provision to a people who are perishing we want many more people to know that hope to know the certain hope that joseph and G- and joseph and jacob they really only had a, a glimpse of. As, jo- as Jacob asked Joseph at the end of his life to take his body, take it to the promised land back in Canaan. Because as we think of ourselves in all the uncertainties that we face in life, we have one certain hope in Jesus. The certain hope of heaven in him. That hope is that we will see him face to face in all his glory and majesty, the Lord of all the nations, the King of kings, the one who is our provider, the one who reigns forever and ever, that we will one day come before him and worship him at his throne, our Savior and our Lord. 
And therefore, let us delight in in him, that certain hope that we have in Jesus, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we come to him bowing before him. As we say in our hearts, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing faithfulness to us. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a sure and certain hope in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you reassure us in times of fear, that you go with us each and every moment of the day, that we can look to you in everything, knowing that you are with us, that you go before us. We thank you, Lord, that you provide for us abundantly, and you have done so in Jesus, giving us eternal life in his name. We pray, Father, for all those in all the nations, that they would come to know you as the Lord of all, the one who gives true life, abundant life, eternal life to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've heard this morning of God's wonderful faithfulness, his provision in our fears and uncertainties. And we'll be continuing with that theme in a different context this evening as we look at Mark 4 together, Jesus calming the storm. So do please come along, 6 o'clock this evening. It'd be great to see you again then. If God has spoken to you this morning and um, you'd like to pray with somebody about uh, something, um, either chat to the person next to you and ask them to pray for you. I'm sure they'd be willing to. Um, or find a member of the prayer ministry team with the Red Lanyards. Um, they won't be over there this morning for obvious reasons. Um, they'll be over in that corner over there. You're right on my, my left. And do please stay for some refreshments after the service. Well, so we've heard this morning the greatest thing that God can provide in an uncertain world is a living hope in Jesus Christ. So let's finish with our verse for the year from Romans 15 as we go out from here into the week ahead. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.